0: Welcome to Keith's Gab Fest, a chapter-by-chapter page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day.
1: I'm James.
0: And I'm Meeks. And today we are sharing some news and some feedback. Before we start gabbing, a quick spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen. And that means we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the films. So, you've been warned, dickle-thirsties. Before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a BlendJet 2 portable blender today.
1: Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the BlendJet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient.
0: Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit and lacewing flies with ease. Blendjet 2
2: is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room.
1: Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go.
0: I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo. Yes. Yeah. And I want the blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's like super important. It's got to match the kitchen counters.
0: It's nice
2: and convenient if that can happen.
0: Black goes with anything, so I think I'm good.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: Well, what are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and two free day shipping.
2: No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back.
1: Blend anytime. Anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever.
0: Welcome back, listeners. We're going to start with a little bit of news. Finally, we have some show news. Woo. Deadline has reported that Warner Brothers has been meeting with writers to hear their pitches for the show. These writers include Martha Hillier, who did The Last Kingdom, Kathleen Jordan, who wrote Teenage Bounty Hunters, Tom Moran, who wrote The Devil's Hour, and Michael Leslie, who most recently wrote *The Hunger Games*, *The Ballad of the Songbirds and Snakes*. They also said they're willing to hear other pitches, which is really exciting because that means all things spinoffs. Wow, be so exciting!
1: <laughs> How long did it take for this to happen? <laughs>
0: Feels like forever. I mean, the, the, they announced it, and immediately the writers and actors' strikes started, and then those ended. I mean, months ago.
1: You're yeah. I think I I guess I hadn't taken into consideration the the strikes themselves because that probably would have slowed down any potential progress that they would have made. But that was probably almost a year ago when we first started this, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's about nine months. We started recording in May.
1: I wow. Think. So because we've, to, for the listener's perspective, if you're newly joining us and decided to like listen to our latest episode, you have to understand that we uh started this because of the announcement of the show so from the announcement to the show to now being able to have writers that's obviously a big time period of when we were able to like not have like have any news happen or anything like that but um, now it's kind of um. nice to know that they're uh, continuing forward with it and well we'll uh, get to have our dreams come true of it, sort right. of speak.
0: We've been anxiously awaiting news of this show, and it's nice to finally know that they're starting to make moves. And the fact that they're opening it up to listening to their other ideas for spinoffs is just so exciting. We talk all the time about all of the other, especially you, Meeks, about all the little spinoffs that could come with this show um yeah. so it's exciting I'm just that they're waiting actually, for a call like, opening that floor too <laughs> well they're meeting with writers now go call them <laughs> <laughs> okay this is my chance <laughs>
2: <laughs> screw all those people that have spent their entire lives leading up to this point dedicating their lives to writing i'm just going to jump on in there because i feel like doing a spinoff
0: are you guys familiar with any of these writers that they said they've met with
1: I am not actually. I I don't even think I've heard of some of the stuff that they've uh, been named for. But I'll, obviously, that means I'm just going to go check it out. So,
0: mm-hmm. um, I'm a I'm a Hunger Games fan, and unfortunately, I have not seen the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes yet. I did read the book. And so, when the movie came out, I was on the the Reddit's threads, um, and they got mixed reviews uh, about of adaptations. Um, a lot more, I think, were were positive uh, than negative. So I would think that Michael Leslie has a good shot at adapting Harry Potter. Not not a, about being hired, but if he were hired, I would feel good about that. Now, again, I haven't seen the movie yet, so I would like to see it before I make any final judgments on his adaptation skills, but hopefully he'll find out about our podcast or any of these writers will find out about our podcast and take note.
1: Wouldn't that be really cool? They'd just be I know. Like, imagine if they just... We're just going to like start listening yeah. to these guys.
2: <laughs> that would be really funny. They're just like, oh man, wow, these... These three, like, really just have it all figured out. Let's just take all of our ideas from them. That would just be amazing.
1: I wouldn't mind being paid as a consultant.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. I would accept it.
0: (laughs) 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 So let's move on to feedback now. Cameron on Facebook said, I'm looking forward to seeing how they portray Snape. Now that we know from the last book and movie, he did everything in his power to keep Harry alive and safe. I'm hoping Max gives us hints throughout the seasons that although Snape is tough on Harry, he truly cares for him because of his love for Lily. What do you think Slash want them to do?
1: This is a very debatable topic.
0: So debatable because I wanted to say, does he truly care about Harry? So... <laughs> does he?
1: I mean, like, that's the difficult part of it, really, is like, there's part of him that loathes him, mm-hmm. but there could be a part of him that cares, I guess, if you kind of want to, like, maybe go down that road a little bit and see if uh, that always goes down. I never really, reading the books and coming to the conclusion that I have come to, I've never really concluded that Snape cared for Harry in any way. I just, I think he felt more obligated to take care of him out of his love for Lily. And so that doesn't necessarily mean he cares for Harry. He's just, he's protecting Harry because he's Lily's son. So he's doing it for her, not for him, in a right. sense. And so to me, it's more of a he feels obligated because he feels maybe somewhat responsible for the death of Lily Potter. At least that's my take.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I think that he does not know how to care for people or himself really um, in a healthy way and he loves Lily but he doesn't know how to love in a healthy way because he from what we know from his childhood the little bits that we know he was never given good models of what like a loving healthy relationship <laughs> looks like and so he doesn't like in his head like he's like desperately in love with Lily but he doesn't know how to actually handle that in a positive way so um yeah i think that it's i think he does do what he's supposed to do to quote unquote care about harry for the sake of his guilt that he feels that he couldn't protect lily his i don't want to diminish the love that he does or did feel for lily and say self-pity and mean that it it was invalidated his feelings but I but I do feel like there was a lot of that woe is me I'm going to burden myself with this guilt and all of this because of because he could never be with Lily it was unrequited love and then she died and he was never able to be a part of her life the way that he wanted to and so I think that he has such complicated feelings that he never knew how to Tackle, and so then, with Harry, it shows up as he you know he cared about him all along, but did he? <laughs> I mean, I don't think he did,
0: and to answer Cameron's question here, do we want to see any evidence of this, however subtle, in the earlier seasons or? should it be like in the books where this twist of him actually uh, betraying Voldemort since day one is revealed in in the last book when Harry's looking at the Pensieve? Or should there be little seedlings throughout the seasons?
1: Personally, I think it needs to stay very close to what we discovered ourselves when we were reading the series. I think it needs to, I think it, I, if they want to maybe like give hints about it, sure. But I feel like it's better off knowing or guessing if Snape is real, like where Snape's loyalties lie uh, and not being sure, especially for the people who are going to be introduced to the series for the first time through the TV show, you know, it, it would be better for them to kind of just double guess constantly a Snape's allegiances and where they're coming from. I don't think it would be smart, a smart move to kind of reveal Snape's connection to Harry from the very beginning, because then it, then we don't understand why Harry names his child after him. Uh, It's, it's Harry's journey uh it, it's really harry's and our journey together that kind of shows where his respect comes from because harry's discovering snape's true allegiances and where his true loyalties lie is what inspires him to name his son after him in the end mm. uh and he had to go through all the double guessing he had to go through you know believing that he was a bad guy he had to go through believing that he was Uh, Dumbledore's killer not knowing the truth kind of scenario to actually understand why everything was being done in the first place so so I think it wouldn't be smart to reveal it at the very beginning because then we lose that connection of finding out just like Harry's gonna find out what Snape truly is capable of and why, why he's doing what he's doing for
2: Yeah, I think um, I agree with that. I I like that they kept it. It was such a good reveal um, towards the end of the series. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and so I would love for them to keep it very close to that in the books. Um, I get the I, I do like the idea of of having hints and foreshadowing go on. Um, but I think for this it was just I just remember it being like so shocking when we found it out later on in the series like it just made you rethink everything about Snape because everybody thought the same Mm -hmm. thing about him all of us readers and everyone was so convinced and then to like have this big reveal was crazy it was such a it was so well done I think and so I would love Mm -hmm. for it to to stay like that normally I like little hints and you know what are they? What is that? The egg thing? <laughs> what am I trying Easter to say?
0: Eggs.
2: Easter, Easter eggs.
0: Easter eggs. Easter eggs. I trying, I, always, I
2: wanted to say eggshells, like putting in eggshells throughout the series. and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That's walking. So, on anyways, <laughs> I want them to not do Easter eggs for this one. Normally, I do like mm-hmm. that.
0: Well, I have two thoughts here. First of all, the even having read the book and then seeing the film, knowing. Snape's true motives—the way they did it in the film was still so heart-wrenching and beautiful mm-hmm. that I they can't a really wait good job. to see. It, even though, so e- whether or not they put hints throughout, it can still be very impactful because, as book readers, we knew it was going to happen. And I think the reveal in the film still really hit. Not that I wanted to, not that I want them to spell it out for us before that. Um, But that brings me to the fact that Alan Rickman knew Snape's storyline from the beginning because J.K.R. told him. So he knew how to act from the very beginning. So it will be very interesting to compare both portrayals, whoever plays Snape in the show and Alan Rickman Snape's, and seeing how – compared to the other characters because we know that Alan Rickman knew – but other characters did not. So it'll just be really fun to see that thread from from the first episode through to the end of the season uh, through the end of the series.
2: Yes, agree. I, I think that is so cool to having especially having read the books and watched the films like been so much a part of the Harry Potter world for for a long time and then now knowing like kind of behind the scenes stuff of how Alan Rickman knew about that plot. Like it just makes everything so much richer and. um, Oh, he just did such a good job with it. I'm like so curious to see who they, who they cast and how they write it and everything. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. I just, I cannot wait because it was, it was so well done. And even though Alan Rickman, of course is much older than Snape would have been in the storyline, which we talked about when we did our fan casting after Sorcerer's Stone, but oh my God, it was like, it was so heart wrenching. Every time I see that scene, like no matter what, if I'm like, if I Mm -hmm. turn on the TV and it's in the middle of the movie or no matter what's going on, I just like stop everything and watch. And that's pretty much true for pretty much any part of the Harry Potter movies, but especially those like totally heart wrenching scenes, they just did such a good job of that. So I can't wait for the show to have even more time to expand upon it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there are some parts that I don't love. <laughs> I, um I don't know why you telling your story just now reminded me of this because it's not relevant at all. But the when he's <laughs> sitting and crying and holding um Lily, mm-hmm. Lily's dead body, and little baby Harry's behind him just crying. I'm just like, pick up that baby and and hold him. <laughs> but other than that, um, the, the scene, the pensive scene is just a really beautiful s- scene. It really
2: is.
1: Interesting how you have a problem with that part. I, I, I love that part. That's the part
2: that always pops into my head when I think of like just uh, everything we're talking about with Snape and his his character arc and everything. Like that moment mm-hmm. of the film is always what pops into my head. But I never think about, I never think about Harry. I'm like, Harry's you're not important. <laughs> 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 exactly <laughs>
0: James would you please read the next feedback from Karen
1: yes so Karen says from on Facebook I didn't know this I can see it though Hugh Grant was going to play Lockhart exclamation mark three times Uh, so that's pretty interesting for those of you who don't know Hugh Grant you should probably go look at (laughs) <laughs> Hugh Grant and see some of the stuff that he's been in cuz uh that's actually a pretty interesting casting choice. Um I've seen a couple of things that he's been in and um he 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 plays really he plays comedy really well and he could definitely play the obnoxious um, heartthrob. egotistical heartthrob mm-hmm. that wants to kind of just you know wants all the attention and all that stuff he could easily play that he's done characters like that uh, in other uh, in other stuff as well and he's just a, a very masterful actor so I, that's interesting how it was between him and um, Kenneth Branagh and, and how we could have gotten a totally different Lockhart if uh, it, if it, didn't it work been out that totally way.
0: different um and if he i if just he didn't have real quick mm-hmm. i
2: <laughs> for the last couple minutes <laughs> uh, for whatever, whatever about- reason nope. <laughs> no, no no for the last couple minutes my head thought that we were saying that hugh grant was casted to play lockhart in the upcoming series and i was just sitting here like This, it I can't say anything yet because this has to settle into my head and I feel like this is not real. (laughs) And then I realized, because that's not true. (laughs) So I just had to cut in where my head was at for the past five minutes.
0: It would be so funny that they (laughs) cast, like Lockhart is the first person they cast of all of the characters. (laughs) I know. That's what, I I don't know why my head went there. (laughs)
1: it's like He's why like, would they cast lockhart first that doesn't make any sense
2: it makes no sense they don't even actually have writer stuff nailed down like they don't have <laughs> anything nailed down but they're casting somebody who is like twice as old as he should be to play and then not even gonna show
1: up until season two <laughs> right <laughs>
0: I was just like, what is happening right
2: now? Okay, I'm so glad that That's, I now yeah. understand what's happening.
0: <laughs> to clear things up for me, it, Hugh Grant was first cast as Lockhart in the Chamber of Secrets film. But because of scheduling conflicts, um, Kenneth Brenna was our Lockhart instead. Um, and I I think no, you know, um, hate towards Kenneth Branagh but I think I would have preferred Hugh Grant although to play devil's advocate to myself I know to play devil's advocate to myself (laughs) I think it might have taken me out of the film because I wasn't as well familiar with Kenneth Branagh as I would have been Hugh Grant at the time so that may have taken me out of the film a bit
2: yeah that's a good point I I mean, I do I do ultimately think that Kenneth Branagh was, like, perfect. He looked perfect for the part and everything. Like, mm-hmm. I think that he, you know, they flattened his character as they did everybody. But as far as, like, what he did with what they gave him, I think he did great. Um, but I would love to see an alternate universe a Harry Potter, like a mini film series where they, like, do quicker versions of the film or something with... People that were almost cast because I do think oh. that that would be really fun to see how different people would have interpreted the character and the writing and mm-hmm. stuff. I think that would be so fun. I would love to see what Hugh Grant would have done with it because he is he totally fits the part like he can wow. play that part so well. So I that know, would have been really fun to see.
0: The whole point huh? of our podcast is because they're creating another version of the films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we will, we will get- Don't me. We will get to see. But yes, I understand what you're saying. It would have been great to see how Hugh Grant would have portrayed Lockhart.
1: Listeners, I think we're on one today.
0: I know. We're, we're
2: losing. It's like 20 minutes in. I'm like sweating and crying from laughter.
0: Uh. Well, any other thoughts on Hugh Grant? (laughs) (laughs) Or Lockhart? No. Okay, uh, Migs, can you read, please, our next feedback from Sharon?
2: Sharon, I sure can. Okay, Sharon said, depending on what perspective they decide to film the show in, I think it could be fun to lean into the suggestion that Harry is the heir of Slytherin. Oh, wait. Have Hermione and Ron start to get suspicious. Even Harry himself in the book question it. So maybe have him question it even more. I'd be okay with adding in scenes where Harry's dreaming about the incidents. Like he dreams he painted the words on the wall. Then during the duel, it's more from Hermione and Ron's perspective. They see Harry speaking Parseltongue and exchange a concerned glance. We can then get a tense scene where they confront Harry and ask him what he said to the snake. Here we also get Harry being confused and learning about Parseltongue. Perhaps they share their concerns and Harry shares that he was almost put in Slytherin and now he's questioning himself. Nothing too over the top, just another maybe. And then another, well, actually, let's. she had a second part to that, but do we have any thoughts on that?
1: So, Karen, I want to like, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to share right away because one of these, one of my topics that we were going to do at the end is about this. Hmm. And so I was, I was like going to go into it a little bit, but.
2: You can just table um, this discussion. There's no rules here.
0: James. Yeah, I was going to say we could segue into that. Unless, it, Meigs, if you have any thoughts, share your thoughts and then we can segue into that. Um,
2: I mean, my thoughts are that that I think that that is so like that's creatively so cool to think about. And I love that idea. I um, I don't want to see that because I want them to stick really close to the books. But as far as if it wasn't based off of a book that I'm like desperate that they stick really close to, I think that that's a super, super cool idea.
0: Remind me because I'm having a hard time remembering now, does he or does he not in the book ever tell Ron and Hermione that the hat wanted to place him in Slytherin? Or does I he believe he secret? does not. He, he keeps that secret to his grave, right?
1: Yeah.
2: We don't yeah. even know that he had a grave, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um. Okay, so going, I don't Saturday. think that he should um, tell them that. I, I like that he keeps that secret to himself. Um, Although, we've talked before how we don't want the show to be just from Harry's perspective. And that's very much a part of – I don't know how we can have that thought process of him – debating with himself and and reliving the conversation with the hat without him having that conversation to Ron and Hermione. So, that would be the only way I would justify him admitting that out loud is that we get that you know, internal monologue from the books onto the screen that way. Um, but other than that, I don't think he really needs to wrestle with it any more than he does in the book because I think he wrestles with that enough
2: yeah
1: yeah i agree uh to kind of answer sharon's question a little bit it's it it would definitely be very interesting take if if we wanted to have a little bit more depth added to the series like it's really hard to wonder like how this is actually going to play out because i'm kind of seeing it Maybe from a perspective of like Avatar the Last Airbender that's coming out soon. Um, there's the creators of the show wanted it to stay really close to the animated series, but they're also adding in a bunch of uh, a bunch of additional things that are going to make it new and different and make us make it so that we want to like keep watching because it's gonna it's gonna add depth to the story that was already there um which I'm excited for because it's coming out in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh but I don't know necessarily how they want to play it out here but if they do play it out that way I feel like that would be great to stick to the story add additional things that maybe they wanted to expand on that wasn't in the books or even in the like definitely wasn't in the movies obviously but like even if they wanted to add a few things that weren't into the books that J.K. Rowling is like, yeah, that's definitely going to be something that we want to add going forward. That's going to be part of the part of the lore now or whatever. Um, not to say that they're going to do that, but if they did do that, I wouldn't necessarily be too against it. But if they weren't going to do that, then stick with what, what's been there because obviously there's a whole lot more that wasn't touched by the movies that they can still add into the TV show and still be new and fresh and and able to. So, like, don't change it too much if it's not, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it Yeah, kind of scenario. So it, it's just the mentality of what they're going to do. And since we don't necessarily have that information yet, it's kind of hard to make those decisions. But if that's something that they wanted to go with, I could definitely see it working in certain circumstances. It just would be better if we added depth to the areas that weren't able to get depth before first. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Now that we know that the writers are all open-minded and are going to do all of these extra spin-offs and take all of our suggestions and stuff, then maybe we'll get all of this. oh okay the last part of sharon's feedback another possible way to film the snake scene harry says the line twice the first time we are from his perspective and it's in english the second from hermione ron or somebody else and we hear it in parcel tongue so i do like that idea and we kind of tossed that around when we covered this Mm -hmm. chapter of how they could film it so that Harry doesn't know what's going on and because he in his head he's speaking in English and and from the book's perspective he's speaking Mm -hmm. in English and so I think I do think that that's a good idea to do something like that
1: yeah I agree
0: yeah I think it's a good possibility I think when we were talking we landed on having him doing it in English and then being so confused like us as viewers should still be really confused and I think I'm still tied to that Us as viewers being confused until Ron and Hermione explained that he was speaking parcel tongue. So, listeners, because we didn't have a lot of feedback this episode like we have in the past, we decided we would each bring a sort of topic or question to the table tonight. And we are going in blind. To these, we haven't ta- told each other what our questions or topics are going to be about, except for the fact that James sort of teased his just moments ago. So, You're with welcome. that, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, since we're already talking about this, James, what did you have to tell us?
1: So, first off, I want to thank both Sharon and Karen for submitting feedback and Cameron, but Sharon and Karen specifically because they are patrons of ours and. Uh, obviously, uh, we want to acknowledge that for first and foremost. So thank you guys. And Cameron, thank you for responding to our, um, call of, for feedback and submitting yours and become a patron, please. <laughs> uh, but everybody be, slash pieces fest. yep. So that definitely will be fun. So anyways, I wanted to do that before I forgot. <clears throat> uh anyways yeah so i teased mine a little bit it's about harry uh thinking about him becoming in slytherin so if you know and if you've been following us you know that i've been reading a book called the unofficial harry potter companion um it's an in-depth exploration of each book Uh, they've only got uh, the Sorcerer Stone and Chamber of Secrets out so far. I can't wait for the Prisoner of Azkaban to follow through. Um, don't know when that's going to come out, but hopefully soon. Uh, since we're going to be going into that, I think, here in the next <laughs> two months or so. But um, anyways, I've loved reading it because it kind of gives me a different perspective on things. But they had a whole section about two or three pages long uh that was just like additional thoughts and comments from the authors of the book and it talked about what if harry went into slytherin what if he was sorted into slytherin how would that look like what like what would be different what would change uh and as i was reading it i was going like this totally makes sense this would have been a completely different route um the the story could have taken and uh, it definitely is really interest uh, a really interesting insight. But mostly what caught my eye was just the reason Harry wasn't even in Slytherin was because, as we discussed in previous episodes, um, Hagrid and Ron kind of influenced Harry's perspective of Slytherin from the very beginning. Harry didn't want to join Slytherin because he didn't want to he, he didn't want to turn out bad. He didn't want the the bad propaganda because that's not him. And so he when he got to the sorting hat, he was obviously saying not Slytherin, not Slytherin, got sorted into the next closest thing, Gryffindor. Now, the reason this is even a subject of conversation is because Harry's attributes align with Slytherin a lot more prominently than any other house kind of scenario he's got a lot of ambition he's got uh, he does whatever it takes to to get things done all that kind of stuff so harry harry is most obviously a really good fit for Slytherin. um so the the conversation then took into account what would it look like if he didn't have those pre- inhibitions of what Slytherin was what if Ron and Hagrid didn't ever bring it up what if he had equal ground to each house and the sorting hat just was like and he he just went in and was like I'll be glad with whatever and the sorting hat was just like Slytherin what would that look like and it, it went down the road of just like Harry's influence of it all because Harry's got this influence in him uh that he, he that people are just naturally attracted to that it kind of went down the conversation of if Harry was in Slytherin, maybe Harry would have had an impact on on the Slytherin house in a way that would have kind of changed their perspective on the other houses. Maybe Harry's impact would have actually been more beneficial to be a part of Slytherin because then he would have convinced these children or uh nieces and nephew of the death eaters to actually be a little bit more kinder to their fellow wizards and to have to Muggleborns and and his his influence would have been actually more beneficial to it and i was kind of just sitting there thinking oh my goodness like they're kind of right he 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 would have been able to like have his qualities kind of what's it called rub off on them in a way that they some of them might have actually been willing to take a different look and be like well our parents were wrong like we need to like change our mindset here uh i think it even goes if i remember correctly i'm not going to like find it because it's a bunch of pages but it goes into the possibility that harry might have even been able to convince them to not join voldemort and this younger generation of Slytherins wouldn't have, you know, this is Voldemort's future army, essentially, they wouldn't have joined, they wouldn't have joined Voldemort's side and that probably would have put a, you know, put a wrench in 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 his plans. And so I, may, I thought it was kind of interesting how there was, there's a possibility, if there was ever a possibility of a what if scenario and we, what if Harry was in mm-hmm. Slytherin, how the story could kind of go from like, what if Harry joined Slytherin and ended up influencing the younger generation to a point where, when it comes down to Voldemort and him fighting, you have, you know, the Slytherins' children, their their prosperity, fighting on the side of good versus their parents who are fighting on the side of evil kind of scenario, and how that kind of connotation and all those potential side stories would. Uh, would blow up kind of kind of thing and I thought that was very interesting. So
0: do you think there's a universe where Harry would turn evil from being in Slytherin?
1: It got me thinking a little bit that kind of question. was it possible for him to turn evil? And I think actually no. Uh, I think Lily's sacrifice did a lot more mm-hmm. to influence Harry than, than anybody realized because it occurred to me that there's an innate love Harry has for people genuinely uh, that you're kind of wondering, uh, you know, cause love is the most powerful magic in the world. According to Dumbledore, you're wondering to yourself, was Lily's sacrifice more influential on his personality than we realized was that sac was that magic it had an innate side effect on Harry because she sacrificed h- her life for him did it have an innate side effect on Harry to just be naturally loving to other people and see be more empathetic towards people than other people normally are it changed my perspective on Harry a lot to kind of go I, Harry's empathy may naturally come from just the source of magic that came from that sacrifice to begin with. I don't think it was, I, I, I don't think he could naturally uh, focus on evil deeds because, uh, because of that empathy that he has. And because of the possibility of that, those magical effects of the love that his mother had for him. And so, I don't think in any scenario if he were to join Slytherin would he turn evil because of because of that of that empathy and that love the, the sacrifice.
2: It's interesting too to think about how it like how much of that is actually the magic that's kind of um, guiding him in a certain way, or how much of it is that he was told that at a very important point in his development and then adopted that identity and then went and then kept going with it for the record i don't believe that that's necessarily what happened but it is interesting to think about how much of everyone all the characters they have that a self-fulfilling prophecy going on which is further interesting when we get into book five and we learn about voldemort and his self-fulfilling prophecy um Mm -hmm with you know that whole plot point but i don't i don't necessarily think that harry is you know only good because he was told that he's supposed to be good i think that i think he's genuinely good Did you have more to say, Sarah Day, or because I had something else to say, but I I wasn't sure if you had something else. Um, I uh I look at Harry a lot like Captain America and that character of how he's like always considering. Not that like there are um that neither character has a flaw at, at all. Of course, they both have their flaws, but like they're both so so desperate to do whatever the good thing is for the betterment of everybody around them. And sometimes they're like so rigid with that that they sort of don't see a bigger picture or they're like looking so, sometimes they're looking so far ahead to what that end game is. Ha 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 ha. That, you know, they kind of, they ignore some things that are in front of them. But I I think that there's a lot of um, parallels that are between Harry and a Captain America character. Mm -hmm.
1: Most definitely. Um, Now suffice it to say that this is all just kind of like theory, theory in a sense. I'm not saying that Harry would have had the ability to convince every single Slytherin, but because of just Harry's personality, if you take Harry who he is right now and place him into that situation I mean, just his open mindedness about everything probably would have had an effect. Would everybody join his side? Probably not. I mean, it may, you know, especially the children of the Death Eaters would be a little bit harder to sway over to his open mindedness and acceptance of everybody than, say, just an, another Slytherin who had nothing to do with Voldemort kind of scenario. So. Uh, and you know some Slytherins probably did fight fight in the Battle of Hogwarts. You know Harry probably did have an impact on them, um, or maybe they didn't. I don't remember.
0: I want to say they like, did not, but um, I would like for in the show if if they make one change, like that's one I wouldn't mind is having some of them, is having
1: some of the Slytherins yeah. join the because
0: fight. Because I hate how. Slytherin has such a stigma because of all yeah. of this, you know? And like there's so many people that are sorted into Slytherin. They're not bad people, you know. It just so happens that every witch or wizard that went evil in the wizarding world was a Slytherin. But you know, not well, all what's
2: interesting what's interesting too is that the whole the whole Harry Potter series is so much about um breaking down social norms and like caring about everybody, no matter what their background is and those sorts of things. And like Harry himself kind of personifies that of somebody who has a, you know, a a horrible background and this, these awful burdens that are always hanging over his shoulders and he gets ostracized, but you know, he's his two best friends are people who also get ostracized for various reasons. I mean, ostracized is kind of a strong word for, ron and hermione but you know what i'm saying they're all outcasts and so the whole the whole series is about that so it is interesting that there's such an intense like um like jk rowling writes it so that there is no forgiveness with any of the slytherins at all when that definitely i think goes against with goes against the other uh lessons i guess that come out of the Harry Potter storyline. It would have been, I would have, I feel like it would have been more satisfying rather than like, um, like vindicated, a vindicated type of feeling, which I think is what she was going for, for the readers to feel when all, none of the Slytherins stayed to fight at the end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're all supposed to be like, yeah, because they suck. And I, I think what would have felt better is if there was a redemption arc from these kids, <laughs> and the maybe the parents of the kids, like whoever was there, that w- that were you know Slytherin families, and they had stayed to fight alongside, and I think it it, it would have been more satisfying, and it wouldn't have taken away from all of the other good that was going on and the the larger fight and the larger storyline. It wouldn't have taken away. It only would have, I think, made the story feel like richer and more positive um if okay. she had done that instead
1: i'm I'm gonna have to agree with that i think i think you guys are right in the sense that if there's gonna be any changes to the story to make it a little bit more better or even interesting i think the stigma of slytherin is just gonna have to go uh and we're gonna have to to do what i like to do what i even suggested to like have harry influence slytherins in a way like he doesn't even have to be in Slytherin to do it. I feel like Harry's influence obviously reaches to the other houses because Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff uh, also join him in his Dumbledore's army type scenario in book five, and they look up to him in other things. And um, So it's, it's not just like Harry being in one house obviously changes things. I think maybe there are some Slytherins that would have had an effect from Harry that... May just be late bloomers in the sense, and probably wouldn't have had any effect until book seven, when the when the actual moment has to come, and they actually do have to fight for 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 their family and what they are believing, or for to fight for Hogwarts and what they would like to believe in. And so, I think it would definitely have an interesting dynamic. Not to take too much away from the story, but like it would have an interesting dynamic to have some of the Slytherins' children be like. I'm standing up for what I believe in even though it's like completely against what my parents believe in.
2: Yeah.
0: I think there's a fine line because I again I also want to see less of the stigma around the Slytherin House as a whole, but through Harry's eyes there's very much a stigma there because A Snape is the head of the Slytherin House and he's a bully towards Harry. Draco is in Slytherin and all of Draco's little cronies all bully Harry and the other Gryffindors. And I think focusing more on Draco and his friends, like Pansy and uh, Zabini and then Crabbe and Goyle and kind of his grade and their um, – Kind of competition with not just Gryffindor, but the as a as a house, but the students in their year in Gryffindor, um, and so walking that fine line between showing that hatred towards those Slytherins, but not all of the houses having this hatred towards Slytherin.
2: Yeah, I think that that would be a perfect medium because it is really important to Harry's character throughout the entire series that he does have that, like, intense bias and hatred towards the Slytherins. And so I think that it's really, it's important to keep that. But I agree that the stigma can be taken away by, yeah, just like what you said, where don't take it away from Harry and his perspective because that is really important to keep that in. But there's other ways that... It can the Slytherin storyline can be changed,
1: mm-hmm. and I think one of those things is gonna have to be Draco's redemption arc, and how Draco didn't really get one, mm-hmm. and but Draco was always intended to have one. Uh, I remember J.K. Rowling saying that she mm-hmm. she she had one for him, but then ended up not going full force on it. I think having Draco be the head of the redemption. Not only for just Slytherin House, but like for himself, to end the stigma
2: mm-hmm.
1: would be phenomenal. Uh, because I, I don't, I, I, don't think you have to take away the stigma in the beginning. I think you know having the stigma there would be it would be part of the celebration that we would have at the very end when when they do make that change and go, Hey, I'm standing with Harry and what Harry believes and not with what my parents and Voldemort believe.
0: The only thing though, that I want to kind of not necessarily argue, but if we do give Draco a redemption arc, I think it needs to be very clear or, or not very clear, but Snape's story needs to be very gray because the films, I think made him a lot more lovable than the books do um and uh, um maybe yeah. lovable is not the right word but em- empathetic uh, um i can't well, think of the word they
2: they took yeah i know what you're saying because they took out so he said so many terrible yeah. mean awful disgusting things to harry and yeah. to the other students and i mean yeah all of them they took mm-hmm. out
0: Neville so much of
2: that dialogue yeah, yeah so i do and i agree so that they made him more empathetic or something.
0: If we have a redemption arc for Draco, which I definitely want, I thought that he always needed one, it needs Snape storyline. Yes, keep all of the Lily stuff and all of that beautiful, pensive stuff in the film, but you need him to be Umbridge level. You know, when in the fifth book, Harry's like, I don't know who I want to see win, Snape or Umbridge because he hates them both. You know, we need that level of hatred towards Snape because I don't think both Snape and Draco should have these redemption arcs. Yes, we have Voldemort, who's the big bad, and he doesn't obviously get, but at the same time, it's all very great because look at his life. And he was born under the love potion spell. And so he's automatically just doomed to be this bad guy. And then he had a bad life on top of that. So you're already, you know, getting. an empathetic backstory for him too and i don't think every bad character should be excusable
2: well and what'll be really interesting is because they cut out so much um from the sixth book which obviously we'll get to (laughs) and so much of what they cut out was that empathetic backstory for tom riddle Mm -hmm. and it, they I think that J.K. Rowling wrote it in such a good way where you can empathize. I think this is just the sign of a good writer. And yeah. I think Marvel does this really well. Marvel makes really good villains because you can empathize with what the villains are trying to argue and what their points are and what their background is. But you still hate them because they're villains. And I think J.K. Rowling does that incredibly well also with malfoy with snape with tom riddle Voldemort. like i think she does a really good job of giving you that empathy so that you can understand where they come from but does not take away at all from the terrible horrible things that they've done and because the movies flattened all of the characters we lose that a little bit of that Mm-hmm. The I guess how how much the empathy is turned on versus how much the villain hatred is turned on like it's it's just skewed a little bit for all three of those care you know those three bad characters and so hopefully they can dial it in a little bit more accurately for the series. Yeah. Well,
1: it's and interesting again, it's just that a you
0: sign... go ahead, James. Sorry.
1: Uh, it's interesting you bring up how Voldemort has. A background revealed and you kind of like empathize with Voldemort being like always oh, his, his parents were messed up. And so he had a messed up life and grew up in an orphanage and all that stuff. But my perspective is a little bit different in, and the book, the companion goes into it a little bit. There's a section called 50 years ago uh, where it kind of talks about where the 50 years ago, which keep in mind listeners 50 years ago for Harry is 1940s 1950s era cuz this is taking place in the 1990s. So, so 1930s 1940s this is about World War II-ish was 50 years ago for Harry. Uh so That's Voldemort so weird grew, to think about. <laughs> Voldemort grew up in the World War II era. Mm-hmm. World War II was going on when Voldemort was a child. So the battle of, you know, the battle, the war, the Wizarding War between Grindelwald and Dumbledore was also going on. So both sides, both Muggles and wizards, were going to war for different reasons and stuff. All together, it was a chaotic time. And so, it's interesting to take into account that Voldemort became someone fixated on fear, death. Uh, and everything, because what else? That that was really all he was feeling. He he was fearing the he he feared the unknown because he didn't understand why his parents gave him up. He didn't understand why he was in an orphanage to begin with. Uh, so what was the one thing that he could do to kind of feel a sense of feel anything was to terrorize the children. Once he learned he had some type of power, he was like. I'm more powerful than you. I can do whatever I want. I can take whatever I want. He even says it in the movie. Like, I take what I want. I can I make things happen to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff. He, he's just a kid who has these unanswered questions, has never felt a touch of love. We come back to that love question. Mm-hmm. He's never felt a touch of love from anybody from the very beginning of his life. Born into a chaotic world, both muggle and wizarding world, of war, terror, and fear, fixated by the Nazis and by Grindelwald uh, as they're terrorizing it. So, So his natural reaction is, if that's what they're doing, I can do that too. And he starts terrorizing the the smaller people, and he starts building up power. He starts learning. He, he learns he's a wizard. He starts learning how to become a wizard, uh, and he starts learning powerful spells. And the one thing he's fixated on is how do I, you know, how do I terrorize and terrorize the other people? Because it's probably the only thing that makes him feel anything. So in the end, I don't think there is any empathy for Voldemort. Uh, you know, it sucks that Voldemort was born in that situation, but Voldemort was influenced by things beyond repair. Uh, and with when you take into the idea of how complicated magic is, if love is so important and he never received any, is you know, is he really human? Without that, if he doesn't know what love is and he's never felt love in his entire life, would he be even considered human hmm. so it's I I, it's just yeah so it's just an interesting I thing disab- i uh, thank him
2: i disagree i think that um not that it really matters. i'm not disagreeing because i'm like trying to prove a point or be a disagreeable person but i think that i think it Like everything that you said with him being raised, that's such a good context to put him in with with the time period for the real world that he was raised in. Um, And I think that him being raised without love, I mean like I can't even imagine what that's like because we all have, you know, whatever things from our childhood that we wish could have been a little bit better but he doesn't. He doesn't have like any sense of of anything and I I think that that does make him a very empathetic character does not excuse obviously any of his behavior but it it makes so much sense for why he did everything that he did and I love how much In detail, into detail, the books go with this, and I really hope that they keep all of that in for the series because it's so interesting.
1: He's a, I mean,
2: I do think that he's still a good villain in the, um, in the films. I think that he's believable as being really scary, and it's not like I don't think that the choices that they made for the films, even though they took out basically all of his backstory except for like the one scene or whatever with with tom riddle in the pensive. like i think uh they they cut out almost all of his backstory but it doesn't make him any less believable or the character like just not be a good villain i still think that they that they did a really great job in the films but i'm really excited to see what they do with a lot more time to Mm -hmm. go into backstories
1: Oh Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And Meigs, you can always disagree. There's always, there's always room for disagreeing. I will never get offended (laughs) when you disagree with me.
0: (laughs) Well, that conversation, James, um, was amazing. And we really went in (laughs) on that conversation. So we are running out of time. So we're going to wrap it up here. For tonight, but uh, Meeks and I do have questions to ask each other. So we will do this again soon. But for now, thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time we will be back on track with chapter 14. James, where can our listeners find you?
1: They can find me on James and Beltran, um, whether that be Instagram or TikTok. Totally up to you guys. Uh, But you can find me there and what I'm doing there.
2: And you can find me on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all of my other projects.
0: And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at Captain.McDee. That's M-C-D-E-E. And you can find my other projects linked there as well.
2: Sarah Day, I'm cutting you off because I just realized that as we are recording right now, it is Lockhart's birthday. No. What? <laughs> Unknowingly, unbeknownst <laughs> to us. Anyways, okay, that's, that's all. Me. <laughs> Not to destroy your flow and then make oh, you go fine. back to it.
0: Um, You didn't pause, right, James? You left that in.
1: No, I left that in.
0: Okay, great. So we'll leave that in. <laughs> um, it's we just uh, cause you were talking about how we had a whole com- conversation about Lockhart earlier, right? Yeah.
2: Wizardingworld.com says it's <laughs> Lockhart's birthday.
0: <laughs> well, happy birthday, Lockhart. We had a whole conversation about <laughs> who should play you. Um so you can follow us there and then you can follow the podcast, Peeves and Scatfest on Instagram and TikTok at Gabfest. Don't forget to subscribe. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review if you can. Five stars are better than one. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash Gabfest. If you have any feedback, leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GabFest or email Email us at PeevesisGabFest at gmail.com and we can do more episodes like this one. Also, come join in on the discussion at our Facebook group facebook.com slash group slash or just search Gabfest" on Facebook. Until next time first Thirsties.
1: Bye.